Hello and welcome to the Beer Farmers Mashed. So this is a new thing from us and uh, it's going to be a monthly podcast insofar as we can be bothered to do it, but we'll try and make it every month going forward. You may have heard us and seen us and all that around the country, the UK, um, seen us on various other platforms such as the Many Hats Club and all that kind of thing. <clears throat> We've decided that it's probably a great time for us to stand on our own two feet or in our case, uh, 10 feet given that there are five people with two feet each. Well, I don't know. Scott, how many feet have you got? Seven. John has three. Different conversation. But yeah, so we decided that we're going to do our own podcast and it'll be more of the same stuff that you're used to. We'll be chatting about current affairs. Um, <clears throat> there'll be bits of rants and general complaining about things going on in the world. But it's everything that people have become familiar with around what we do as the beer farmers. Uh, before we continue, I'd like to welcome Scott as our newest member of the band. So, Scott, you've been with us for about, what, a month and a half, thereabouts? A uh, month and a half, yeah. I think a past probation, maybe. I think Absolutely. He's uh, to say. more serious than a heart attack, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start high, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a month and a half of uh, uh, fun experiences, a lot of talcum powder, um, yeah, a lot of goes, rashes. Goes into territory. We've done a lot of stuff, haven't we? You know, we've done talks and we've done podcasts and we've done um, beercon, which we'll come on to in a bit more detail at the end. Um, but it was kind of, it felt like we should probably do some new stuff. And bringing Scott in at the same time as us deciding that we should do some new stuff felt really a great idea. And so we've uh, got through the Infosec happy hour era of our band's incarnation and handed that over to a super cool bunch of people. They're now running with a happy hour. Great people, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we um, wanted to get more serious about our musicianship. We wanted to get more in touch with our feelings. And one of the things that Sh Sean, uh, Sean has always talked about was just how important it is that we get a new guy that is very collaborative, you know, and and a guy that, of course, that is more than willing to pick up the tab when, when, we, when we go out, when we used to go out. And stuff. So that's uh, that's really important. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was unavailable, um, and that's yeah. why I'm here. <laughs> no, I mean, I was going to say that the new guy Adam really fit the bill. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and with that in mind, we we thought, what a great shot in the arm it'd be to have somebody in with some fresh ideas. And we're now yeah. writing the brand new album, like Ian described. Uh, we may, we've got a track listing for the new album, which we may share towards the end of the evening. Um, it may be controversial, but fuck, that's what we do. I, I thought that was actually the agenda. <laughs> <It's a bit laughs> kind of both. I was like, wow, 16 topics. That's going to go fast. It's a three hour podcast, people. So strap it in. It'll be strap true. it on. <laughs> so we've got a bit of a format and we've, we've Try to keep it fairly simple, and the simplicity is the brilliance in many things in life. So we are speaking to you from Zoom, um, but we are broadcasting to you via Twitch. And there's been a lot of OBS engineering and mucking around and creation of templates. And again, that's something that Scott's done. Uh, the visuals that you can see, assuming that they're working fine, which I believe they are, are all kind of Scott's creation. So, you know, props to Scott for that. The missing person in the corner there, on your if you're watching on your bottom right, <clears throat> would be uh, John Opdenacker. Yes. 
And John's unfortunately not able to join us this evening because he's got a life outside. I believe actually John is busy installing a new VPN. So I think that's uh, what was I going heard, on there. I heard that. Yeah. I think he was yeah. spending five ninety nine a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, for some, I think what, what was it? Snake oil. Uh, yeah. yeah, something like uh, VPNs are for losers. Uh, yeah. Were a few things that were tweeted at him, and my heart goes out to him. Like he's a he's a good man, uh, trying to ride the wildness of using reasonableness and making you know trying to make a positive contribution to the infosec. Uh, so soon he'll will be a broken man. And uh, we'll be crying in his own vomit like the rest of us. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been trying to get John for years to roll his own crypto, you know, save some money. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, man. You know, Sean and I have been working on a home, homemade crypto solution for a good two years now, and it's still shit. Yeah. But eventually, and, we'll, we can just sell it, you know, stick a badge on it, give it some nice bright color. It, it only needs one GPU to crack it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, but... Most people can't, can't even afford one GPU, Sean, these days, let alone three. Oh, sorry, I didn't specify which GPU, Intel HD GPU. You know, the embedded one on boards. <laughs> when, I need, when I need, you know, a fix of crypto, I just hook up with Large Cardinal. He's down here in London. He hooks me up, and then, you know, I go back home, and, I, you know, I'm beaming up to the enterprise with my crypto. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Shall we continue, gentlemen? Why not? Why, why not indeed? So normally, when we do our chats and podcasts, we talk about current affairs, and tonight is going to be no, no different, really. So there are a few things that have come out in the past week, and I am reading from an agenda because, you know, we plan stuff. You, people might think we don't plan anything, but we do plan some stuff. Um, so I want to get gentlemen's thoughts in the room around a couple of things that have come out. So let's start with the Windows XP source code leak. Who wants to kick off with that? Uh, I'll start off because I thought didn't the one I remember being at university and uh, wasn't there Windows X Windows a leak at you talking? I'm gonna be careful so I don't dox myself. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably the early 2000s there was a, a leak of Windows source code. So I don't think this is anything significantly new, but I think the that was just a partial leak, whereas this is, seems to be a more complete leak. We're talking about gigs, which is quite a bit. In the context of, um, I don't know, things like WannaCry and SMBV1 and all that kind of stuff, how big a problem do we think this is, given that the user base, the, the install base of XP still is quite significant around the entire planet, particularly in countries like China? You know, we see a lot of traffic hitting our uh, edges from certain countries, China being uh, one of those, where XP is the predominant operating system. Uh, in light of the fact that it's also still regrettably in use in the UK, mm -hmm. in places like health services, <clears throat> ATMs, you know, payment machines and all that kind of stuff, what do we think is the material risk of this? I can give you some a bit of additional context. So you're, you're saying China, um, but actually one of the most shocking points of my previous career in legal pharmaceuticals always have to make that clear was um the entire healthcare backbone in the us ran on xp even in 2012 and um, so you're talking we're not talking about 
So for anyone who's not American, who's not aware of their healthcare system, it is substantially different to the NHS. It's not government funded. It's all private. Fine. You'd think they would have the money to put in, you know, decent up-to-date systems. That sounds, that sounds excellent on paper, but actual fact in practice, when you suddenly change one component and it could lead to killing a hundred thousand people because some floating point calculation calculates something wrong somewhere along the chain. And it's like um, the famous radiation case way back in the, and it was a thorac or something like that, where it suddenly overdosed a bunch of patients and killed them. That is explicitly hard to define. So a lot of them stick to Windows XP. It's pretty solid. They then build on top of that, you know, Microsoft Office Suite, and then they have to test everything, make sure it works. Then additional, um, you know, CRF or case report form software for dealing with drug trials. So they are one of the, it totally and utterly scared the shit out of me when I worked in that industry to find that we had companies I won't name, but multi billion dollar companies are global still running on the windows xp backbone for their entire drug system that's terrifying you look at china you go yeah well you know china and there's this um i guess theory or excuse that you can look at china and go yeah well you know they've got you know privacy concerns and they're you know they're, they're a bit strange anyway with you know the great wall of uh, great firewall of china fine i get that disconnect but you wouldn't expect the, the the home of the free land of the brave to be, still be running XP for their entire drugs industry. And it's still there. Even in 2019, 2020, it was still there. That is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Ian, when, yeah. Does, en when does enough become enough? When do countries and governments yeah. and, and organizations suddenly appreciate that they're running an operating system that is now a generation out of date? Yeah, you know, it's it's when uh, oil wells uh, catch on fire, um, when, you know, a whole bunch of industrial accidents occur, um, you know, and, you know, there's a breakdown in, you know, pharmacy distribution systems, as, as Scott pointed out. Here's the problem, okay? The, the problem with the XP disclosure is the fact that Microsoft Office even, or correction, Microsoft operating system now current Windows 10 has backward compatibility, right? So yeah. if you've got the source code to XP and you tear into it, you can start finding things that can leverage vulnerabilities in the most secure Microsoft operating system, Windows 10. So that's one total attack surface, right? The other piece of this that really kind of is a concern is as Scott rightly pointed out, you know, a lot of distribution networks are still using XP. Um, my concern is embedded systems. My concern is ICS systems that are exposed. And I think that has a more potential to derail trains and blow things up and, you know, uh, put a ship sideways through the Panama Canal than, than anything else. And I think, you know, it's, it's pretty sad that, you know, the source code for an operating system like Windows XP, you know, which is now what, 12, 14 years old, even even maybe more, uh, now will um, move into being reverse engineered, being dissected. And every time you can like pop a remote shell or, or get a remote code execution on an XP box, the next thing you're gonna fucking do 
is you're going to try and go after the big heavy metal, right? So you're going to move up the chain. You're going to try, uh, you know, uh, Windows NT kernel. You're going to try uh, the Windows 2008 uh, kernel. And that was Vista. Uh, and then R2 became uh, the Windows 7 kernel. And you're going to try the kernels, the DLLs, the libraries, all the way up the chain. And this brings back to a point that we as the beer farmers debated quite intensely. Um, I remember seeing it out on Twitter and, and Sean, this is going to go directly to you because you were talking about a whole bunch of low level uh, or low priority vulnerabilities being leveraged into a devastating attack. Like if you can get this and this and this, then boom, there goes the whole apple cart. Sean, why don't you, why don't you lead us down that thought process there? First correction, Windows XP is pretty much, on October the 25th, it will be 19 years old. 19, wow. Oh, almost legal in the United States. <laughs> so, like, many people will get so fixated on individual vulnerabilities, um, and they are important, but also people tend to forget that vulnerabilities can often chain to one another, and an isolation of vulnerability can look pretty weak on its own, but then you chain it up. So a good example is a bank I went to, uh, they suffered quite a significant breach and they had uh, in one of the users, a JSON returning like everything. So you might take a look at that and everything. I mean, things like your date of birth, your uh, credit rating, your credit mortgage, like a whole bunch of personal details, like a massive JSON. It was just, pages and pages so you might look at that and go well you know what in the bigger scheme of things that's not a major vulnerability i mean it's you have to be authenticated you can't get it for someone else um so you're fine right well there was a flaw in the authentication that allowed you to access details of other users and guess what they got access to that json so if that json vulnerability which was you probably argue a minor maybe a medium whatever um, if that was fixed, their breach would have been pretty low. But because there were those two things that played into hand to one another, you suddenly had a massive breach and ended up in national news and that kind of thing. So, yeah, uh, often it's like little things chained together and you get like at the end of the day, that's attackers go. They go from one hop to the next to the next. They don't just go, bam, there's a mother load and suddenly I got everything. Yeah. Not always. I mean, there might be cases where that happens, but not all the time. <laughs> Mark, you're on mute. Oh, I can't hear you. Mike, Mike, speak to us, Mike. Do we have a technology failure? It wouldn't be a beer farmer show without a technology failure. Well, it happens. So while, well, Mike, while Mike reinstalls his Windows XP operating <laughs> system. <laughs> he got hacked. It was the Russians. It was yeah. the Russians. SMB V1. Oh, look, now he's glowing. <laughs> There's definitely <laughs> some sort of malfunction going on in the system. Um, did, did somebody get, like, I know I kind of passed out during rehearsal, but um, did somebody get the next agenda item? And while Mike works on it, we can just like move to the next agenda item. Sure. Well, um, I'm going to nominate Sean to go and look that up while I, um, I'm shit right. close about the Windows XP code. Um, the Windows XP, very, very quietly. What? I'll be back. 
No worries. Um, <laughs> so oh. the Windows Windows XP source code, man. Like aside from all the security stuff, some of the comments in it are fantastic. Like the standard stuff that we've all written at well, some point. Well, nineteen years ago, like it was. You know, I believe at that point, the year of Windows XP, California had legalized marijuana. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not really surprised, you know, and it, it was scary is it 19 years ago. But then if you add another five, you're into the beginnings of, I would say, the entire computer security industry with some of, you know, the earliest DEF cons and, and stuff like that. And so I'm not really surprised. I mean. XP was revolutionary when it came into effect. And I think nothing has had, you know, other than sort of Windows 95 um, has had such an impact on the industry as XP. And I mean, the fact that a 19 year old operating system is in use today is, is pretty, pretty impressive. It's kind yeah. of bizarre in some ways, though, because... Yes, the, oh, Mike. Hi. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of bizarre in some respects because XP doesn't support things like TLS 1.1 and 1.2 out of the box. It certainly doesn't. And, so, in, fact, yeah. and in fact, you can't even... I, now, uh, it, this was me trying to do this. So, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a non-technical idiot. Uh, but XP was my lady. Like, XP and I spent a lot of time together. And, I mean, you can still license Windows 7, but I think Microsoft end of life, the Windows uh, XP licensing servers... Is that correct? Indeed. Yep. Yes. So, so the real question then becomes, okay, is this Microsoft's gameplay? Is micro So here's conspiracy theory, okay? Conspiracy theory, this is deliberate. Microsoft said, we're tired of seeing XP in the environment. We're tired of people using it as embedded systems. We've been super kind. We've been uh, giving them a lot of time to move off of it. We've been patient, and then they just finally said, fuck it. We're dumping it, and guess what? Um, it's on you now. We don't support it anymore. We turned the licensing servers off years ago, I think years ago now. Um, it's no longer even, even if you pay Microsoft a ton of money, I don't think they even support it, right? right? So All of their developers that did XP probably died of liver cancer a long time ago. Who wants to guess when extended support ended? Uh, oh wow, this is hard. This is like a beer <laughs> farmer's. Like uh, I think, I think, I think it's twenty. Was it twenty eighteen? I'm saying twenty twelve. Twenty fifteen. Uh, uh, oh, Mark's the closest. Uh, extended support ended on April the eighth, twenty fourteen. Wow. But that having said that, <clears throat> yeah. when WannaCry hit was May twenty seventeen, and Microsoft were willing, to your point, Ian, were willing to issue continuous updates to large institutions, including the NHS. Yep. Because yep. the NHS could simply not afford. No, that's bullshit, Tom. I'll call this out. The NHS dropped the ball because they knew that SMB V1, all it had to be done is blocked at your firewall for outbound. So the entire network team at NHS didn't know what the hell they were doing. And the amount of incompetence in that particular department and group needs a huge shakeup. Literally, they could have saved the NHS with one firewall rule. And it, and it pisses me off that the desktop guys and the server guys got roasted for WannaCry because, you know, the message came up on their screens. But the network guys ignored 56 fucking days 
of warning to get that one firewall rule in place, which was block port a port four four three outbound, or was it four four five? Sorry, four four five outbound S and B V one and alert on it so that if anything got inside, it would be trying to get its way out and it would have been blocked. And and that's that's the thing that I found so frustrating about that whole thing is you know it's like oh we have to get rid of Windows seven we have to get rid of you know or sorry we have to get rid of Windows XP and I like. Don't you don't you don't have to just don't expose it to the internet where it can get destroyed, and yeah. and and Scott knows this and Sean knows this and you know this and John Oppendecker knows this segmentation people. Yeah. The problem I think the problem I, you're right in what you say, but I think what we need to remember is that in in the context of the NHS we weren't talking about a single network. We we're talking about individual hospital trusts, GPs, and so on and so forth that we're all operating. In everything that you can think of from a, a massive wide area network in some instances to local area networks on IPVPNs and things like that, right down to GP surgeries that are operating on even dial-up networks. Sure, yeah. You know? So I, I'm not sure it was as easy as a, a firewall you know, configuration change somewhere that would have made it all go away. Um, but yeah, I think let's say, let's say, and I'll agree with you on that. I'll say that the needle is somewhere between gross negligence and um, being situationally aware. Okay. And, it, and, and, you know, we know asset management is a huge problem, Mike, we know that enterprise networks are complex and parts, you know, stuff can be happening over in the digital transformation project and no one has a clue at the IT infrastructure. What do you mean? Where we have Azure tenants. I, I didn't get that memo. You know, <laughs> that, that shit happens. We know that that shit happens, but man, you know, I would, I would give the excuse if it was like two weeks and then the attack happened. I'd even give you like four weeks, you know, 56 days though, dude. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah. I think the one thing we will totally agree on is <clears throat> it wasn't a zero day. No. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Not by any stretch. All right, no. we'll, mo we'll move on from uh, XP. I think we've, uh, <laughs> we've done that subject to death. <laughs> <laughs> Exhausted XP. We, we, XP deserves to fucking die. I loved it, but it deserves to die now. Please kill it off. Only use it for old games in a VM somewhere in some fucking sandbox. Yeah, fair enough. So we've got other newsworthy things that have happened. Activision had a, an issue. Scott, do you want to mention that? Yeah, the interesting thing about that is at least the NHS fessed up and went, hey, shit, yeah, stuff's happening. We are aware we're dealing with it. The Activision stuff's a bit more interesting because... They seem to be following that pattern of, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 not as yet people seem to have evidence of it happening. And this is a common, there's two, there's two ways that breaches seem to go these days. It's either the company completely shuts everything down, says they're sorry, we care about your security, we take things seriously, fixes a problem, same thing happens three years later and everybody forgets and get a wee minor fine. Or they go into total lockdown, total shutdown. We saw it recently with Giggle. We saw it with a few other apps, smaller apps, bigger apps. doesn't really matter. Bigger companies. Well, they say, yeah, that doesn't exist. That's total fabrication. Even though someone's sitting there with 500,000 user records and provable and demonstrably so, that's, I mean, forget whether or not Activision are telling the truth or not. That's a lot of data. And this company attitude of we'll say no until it's 
it seems to all everything always has to go through PR. It seems as if the marketing department gets say more than the security people, and I think I, I get the reasons for it. It's just it's a little bit worrying. Isn't that not a breach, but credential stuffing? And then if that is the case, then the lines are a bit blurry. Like, is the company responsible for it? Is it the users? Yeah, um, I no, I agree. But could it's just the attitude that this, I guess, this uh, arrogance by every single company? No, we are infallible. We are unhackable. Because they're they're treading. They, I mean, you're saying the lines a bit blurry, but they are treading the lines a bit blurry between our security systems. So good. Yeah, we saw that recently with Giggle. Um, you know, our security engineers would have found it. Yeah, well, there's a problem here and you're not listening to us. Right, all the politics of that situation aside for a second, there was a problem. It was raised. The company turned around and said, no, there's not. Yet there was clearly an issue or someone thought there was an issue and their arrogance meant they got free pen tests for life. That's a bit worrying because eventually that data is going to become, even if it's not right now, even if it's a hoax story or it's credential stuffing or dicking around or whatever it is, eventually that is going to end up in a free pen test that will be successful and that data is going to be dumped or sold. It goes back to the old point, doesn't it, about how you handle it. And no matter what the actual scenario is, whether it is a, an actual breach, so you know people broke into your, your database and nicked all your user data, or whether it's to the point Ian raised with the, the beer farmers earlier on around a phishing attack, and a phishing attack then results in credentials being harvested by an attacker. You've still got to deal with it in a similar way and not just spout the either the nothing to see here, move on approach, which a lot of companies still do, to um, the <clears throat> we take your security seriously or do we approach and in a really flippant and, and banal email right the way through to the the proper approach which is this happened this is what we know this is how it affected you materially and this is what we're doing about preventing it in the future and we're still not getting it right companies aren't and you know you've mentioned it pre previously um sean and on a number of occasions this idea of companies that get breached one two or three times and still don't learn but it's an opportunity for other companies to learn from the other company and that's exactly the lesson that should be being taken away is that i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be that firm that you know, have their information leaked. I don't want to be that firm who appear in Have I Been Pwned? And then learn from that. Just do everything that you can to avoid being the next victim of something like this. And yeah, I mean, that's my take on it. Ian, anything to add? You know, no. I, I mean, I think we've done this one. And, and I think, you know, overall, overall, it's always going to be a balance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so and it has formed. It has formed the central topic of many of the beer farmers' talks over the past two years. It has, and I mean, it's so it's so difficult. I mean, you know, the the, the older we get, the older we get, right? And we have uh, we we have the benefit of of wisdom on this because I mean, this is a cycle. Like there, there's you know, there's no way else to describe it as we see this over and over again. We see this happening all the time, right? Yeah, we do. We do indeed. All right, on to the last current affairs topic. Um, one for everybody, this. It's probably a UK topic, but I'm sure it's a topic 
globally, and that is the COVID nineteen track and trace apps. So, yeah, there's been a lot of talk of it in the news, and there's been a lot of rhetoric around it from the government and and health services and and local government bodies and all that kind of thing. Um, we don't seem to ever get a positive story about it in terms of its effe- um, effectiveness, its efficacy, etc. Um, a good friend of ours is now running the the organization of that, um, a certain colossal whopper, a.k.a. Baroness Dido Harding, um, yeah. who singularly didn't manage to run Talk Talks data breach incident management particularly well. It was the Russian back. It was Russian, Russian, Russian-backed cyber jihadists, a.k.a. 15-year-old kid from Northern Ireland. Um, so what are your thoughts, guys, on that? I'll just open it up to the room. What are we thinking on it? And it seems to me like it's a, just a colossal whopper of a nightmare. <laughs> well, what are you asking? Because there's two different threads here. Because there's the Scottish app, and then there's the England and Wales app, which are two totally different things. And one is arguably leaps and bounds better than the other better marketed but has zero press coverage on it because it is actually seemingly to working perfectly fine and then the other one is just english english <laughs> yeah the other one is just kind of shit and doesn't really fulfill the 12 million dollars price tag i will give this to the english one they have open sourced at all oh have they Yes. His standard is private, though. That's the uh, only thing that I have a wee bit of a funny time with. Yeah, I, I, as far as I heard, they've open sourced. Because uh, I think they, this is the second one in English, I could be wrong. Yeah, the first yeah. one got panned because they had no plans to make it open source and they got a lot of shit from that. Yeah. Very rarely so. I, I, I just think also about the whole notion of the app is is a bit flawed and naive in some aspects like you're relying on people to use the app to be truthful with the app um it just takes one person to not use the app and be around you and you might be lulled into a false sense of security um oh i've not been around anyone with covid so therefore i'm, I'm safe I'm, I'm fine and that's just that one person um that's why i don't really believe in it that much i much rather do things like social distancing and masks and all that kind of stuff. Allow on that more. I think it definitely will help. One of the, one of my major bugbears is this. So the Scottish app for anyone that's not aware is it basically sends like a one time key to other phones in the area using Bluetooth Low Energy or BLE. And that's it. That's all it does. You don't need to scan into venues. You don't need to do anything. It doesn't say, oh, you didn't get your test done at a Circo site? Fuck you. Um, it doesn't do any of that shit. It's literally just, we just want to know who you've been around and we're going to share keys amongst each other. Um, although, interestingly, I live in a block of flats and it's not really been sharing many keys. So that either means it's not working, I'm not close enough to people, or nobody in my block of flats apart from me has it so there's there's that and um, i get where you come from it, it lulls you into false sense of security that's absolutely fine um i get that but you can see that repeated on the scott gov announcements on facebook and twitter or anywhere where people are complaining going this doesn't work with my iphone one fuck you scottish government i hate you it's like the iPhone 1 was released like 20 years ago or like 10 years ago or something. Fine. 
but it suddenly brought out all these people that are running really old tech and you're talking grandparents you're talking mums a lot of them you're talking students where they're running this really old tech that can't do this and they're blaming the government or planned obsolescence that part terrifies me i agree do you not think as well that it's a little bit of a case of the government trying to get down with the kids um <clears throat> in terms of hey let's use modern tech to help deal with this problem but at the same time not quite understanding how modern tech works so for example at the beginning there were opportunities for the government the, the uk government at large and therefore england and wales to engage with large vendors providers apple and facebook were offering to support the uh, the building of this kind of technology and the government appears to have gone nah it's fine we'll just give it to circo and and sit out and they can go away and do it and consequentially at least to now and the perception being they've made a blundering ass of the whole thing and nobody really trusts it in fact few people probably even understand it as in people in the street that are not technical and they're the people that actually really matter here that's the worst thing it's people that uh, and if you spend any time on the dumpster fire that is facebook looking through the government announcements if you read the comments turn it to all comments and then just scroll through and you get the trash fire of people going oh it's big brother and you're like you're using facebook to warn people big brother is monitoring you do you not understand the irony here you're it's kind of like that that um, meme that's going around going you're not worth microchipping convince me otherwise like if you're a tinfoil hat wearing maniac you're not worth microchipping trust me just just to be clear look the reason why you need later versions of app is both the, the scottish and the nhs one use the official google and apple apis and that and those those are the requirements from google and api because of things like ble low, low emission bluetooth and that Otherwise, your phone battery will be dead in two hours. If yeah. You, if you have to. Yeah, there's no conspiracy. There's no fucking conspiracy. There's no, like, Scottish government has phoned up, like, Big Tim or Tim Apple, as Donald Trump likes to call him, and went, <laughs> hey, we're going we're gonna to fuck with this shit, right? Okay, we're going to make all the Scottish consumers buy brand new iPhones just to satisfy your pocket. Cool, what do we get out of it? Fuck all, mate. Like, there's none of that shit. It's just purely people are just scared, and rightfully so. There's a lot of shit going on they don't understand. For the most part, a lot of these apps seem like voodoo magic. Like, how how does an app know how many people I've been in touch with? Well, guess what? We're actually pretty clever. We can tell Bluetooth low energy the rough distance and probably we're playing it safe. Um, if I was a developer, I'd play it safe and go, hey, if I can detect anyone within the vicinity and it turns out later that they get a positive COVID result, then I'm going to just wipe massive dragnet pull everybody in quarantine them give them a covid test hey presto just as a, a preventative measure i think it's it's not meant to be 100 percent effective and be on everybody's phones but if it's on 50 percent phones then at least the government can track uh at least i need to be very careful of the wording of this the government can at least start to get some decent statistics decent uh decent exposure on everything and give people a bit more information. The problem is, I don't want to pull politics into it, but it is kind of like very reminiscent of something that happened not too long ago, where people just said, this is what we're doing. We don't really have a plan and just ran with it. People got confused. They had their own ideas of how, how it worked, what it did, what it didn't do. 
and it transpired later that none of that was true because the government never actually said this is what we are doing and here's the standard and made it accessible to the general public. We saw that today with um, John Optenacker's tweet about VPNs. It's not accessible enough to the public. It needs to be accessible to the public. It's all very well and good. You're going, oh, it's a secure packet where X speaks to Y and the flux capacitor is involved. But unless you can get the general public to understand, no, it's not tracking your physical location at 24-7. It's literally sending one packet to another. I'm using a Scottish one in this case. It's literally sending one token. It's like just sharing shit. That's it. That's all it does. And if it ever transpires, anyone in that chain has, anyone in that blockchain, effectively, has been like targeted as positive, everybody in that chain gets gets a test, gets told to self-isolate, gets told to fuck off for two weeks. Easy. All right. I'm bursting on this one. Here's the oh. this is you go. This is absolutely uh, another way, uh, very similar to the way Uber was volunteering customer information to the police without a warrant. This is another opportunity for warrantless surveillance of people uh, and gathering uh, that data. I have strong concerns. Like, uh, listen, I don't mind checking into a pub. I don't mind scanning the barcode. I don't mind putting in my personal details when I go into the pub. I don't have a problem with that. But as I move back and forth, one of the founding sort of ideas about the UK and what I would like to call policing by consent is my business is my business, okay? And if there's a legitimate judge-certified reason for me to be tracked, so be it, right? And there's a warrant and they're sending me zero uh, uh, um, zero length uh, text messages to see where I am to find my location because, you know, I'm a bad guy. All cool with that, as long as a judge has signed it off. What I don't like is the Public Health Act now being utilized into a surveillance act, a enforcement act, um, the UK has lost policing by consent. And I feel for the officers involved because they don't want to be associated with the idea of participating in a fascist regime. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is the same crazy politicization that the United States is going through with, you know, the, the anti-maskers, the folks that are, are living in this conspiracy theory world, and we're actually feeding them their own bullshit uh, because of these issues with the government has failed to say under no circumstances will this tracking uh, uh, information uh, you know, be shared outside the public health reasons. And I can see this information being subpoenaed for divorce cases, for um, potential... Uh, issues with um, tax um, and, you know, uh, tracking people. I don't like it. I, I feel like it's outside of, uh, I, I feel like it's outside of the original mandate. I'm all for keeping people healthy and safe. And like I said, I check in at the pubs and all that, but I'm not down with, um, with the app. Also, I think the other piece of this is, is other than if you're using Bluetooth headphones, there's no reason to have your Bluetooth on in the first place. And in fact, us in the information security community are basically trained 
If you ain't using that protocol, there's no reason to have that protocol active on your device, right? Lock it down, turn it off. You know, you can't get, you have a, you have a hundred percent success rate in defeating a Bluetooth attack if you don't have Bluetooth on. And, and, and so this, this is the thing that I think that the, the government has been um, less than transparent on what happens with the data. Um, they need to clarify that and they need to um, put in a law that basically says to the effect of that data is for public health protection. And um, that is the only application that that data can be used for. And, the and, oh, no, on you go, on you go. No, that's it. Uh, no, they, 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 they might drop. They, the, only, the, only, the only problem with that is that with EPA or RIPA or whatever you want to call it, new EPA, new EPA 2, whatever you want to call it, is that healthcare bodies already have access to location data, cell site data. They already have a ton of stuff. And I disagree with that personally. I like EPA 2 because of the Investigatory Powers Act in the UK, for those that are not aware, um, because it does add that level of you need to have oversight, judicial oversight in some regard, which is so much better than RIPA or EPA 1, the Investigatory Powers Act 1, where it was basically, if you work for Circle, you could basically look up someone's tax records and all sorts of funky shit. No, I'm not keen on that. So if you're a bouncer at a door, you could basically look up someone's entire life history and ISP. You know, you could basically go to the ISP and say, I want to see that what that guy looks at on a Saturday night. Technically, it would never have actually got that far, but you could. That's the main benefit to me for the Scottish Test and Protect app is it purely is just sharing tokens. It's just, it doesn't take a log of your location. It's purely just sharing one-time tokens. I'm all for that. As for checking in at pubs, we do that. We do check in at venues, but I use a burner number, which goes to, routes to both our phones um, and a burner email address, which routes to both our email addresses. So our main mobile numbers are never given out. Uh, it's a VoIP number, uh, so we can kill that off at any point. So we can still get the updates, but if they ever try to phone us, they're just going to get a, a very long form. I built this amazing IVR system, so it just keeps scammers in a loop for like 20 minutes. That's what they're going to get. So I get the privacy concerns. Um, for me, I would ha I've happily downloaded the, the Scottish app without question. Happy with it. I'll run it quite happily won't turn the bluetooth off for the entirety of this pandemic uh, that that's probably a massive doxing point there but the english app not so keen uh i was gonna ask sean what his thoughts are on the scottish app but i think he's disappeared but yeah i i fully agree with this the way <laughs> we're the scottish 44 app's minutes going. in and we've only gone through two of the items on my, my camera keeps on stopping for some reason we'll move on, on. Before we do move on, and we're not we're not stuck to the hour, by the way. We've got as we? much time as oh, we need. Okay. Yeah, we oh, can we can hang around for as long as we like. Oh, it's, our, it's our gig. I gotta, get, I gotta get a few more beers in the cooler then. It's it's our gig, and I can always cut out stuff that doesn't that doesn't uh, flow naturally. I.e., I thought so. we were live. Well, we are yeah, live. We are this live. Is, <laughs> this is this is the benefit. Of, I can cut it later for the actual podcast, so we're all good. Oh, okay. There, but, there's uh, a, but hang on, hang on. There's a, there is a question for Ian from Rag. Yeah. Oh shit. And, and it's a good question, actually. I am so sorry, man. <laughs> Apart yeah. from that, the question okay. is: after your testimony there, Ian, about how you you're not down with the app, 
Yeah. What, in your view, is the better option? What would you do differently? So, so I think, uh, first of all, I, I, would, I would make sure that there were very clear terms and conditions on the use of the data and retention of the data and um, who has access to the data. Okay, so clarity of what is actually going to be done with it. Uh, the second thing is, is that it should be destination-based rather than uh, potentially travel-based, right? Um, I think that would sort of balance the, 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 the possibilities because, and in my reasoning here, um, you're, you're supposed to, and I know it's not 100% effective, but you're supposed to have your mask on and sanitization before using public transportation. So I kind of feel like it's, it's low risk to actually catch it on the tube and to catch it on buses. But where you're more likely to catch it on is at 9.45 when you have two pints of beer in your hands and you're desperate to try and get those beers downrange before your pub closes at 10, which technically the pub has to close at about 9.55 because if it's after 10, they, they risk the fine, right? So, you know, I, I feel like we have to have greater transparency and clarity on that data. And, you know, maybe what we need to do is limit it to 14 days of retention rolling so that if we're asking people to, uh, to, I was going to say the word incubate, but that's the wrong word, um, isolate, that's the <laughs> word. Uh, if we're asking them to isolate for 14 days, well, you know, we, maybe we shouldn't be retaining attention. What, what worries me um, is you're supposed to be quarantining, right? And you rock out to the pub anyways, right? And you know, there are going to be mitigating circumstances, but you've exercised really poor judgment at that point. Is, is now going to be like the, um, the uh, speeding camera, fine, where you just sent the ticket. Oh, we knew that you were supposed to be isolating for 14 days. You went outside the boundaries. Could be a totally legit reason. Okay, pub, Sainsbury's, whatever. You know, you didn't have any other option. There's a lot of reasons why that might be a reasonable choice for a person, but you just get the ticket in the mail. Is that where we're going? You know, strict liability issues where there is no. He's been grabbed by China. <laughs> China has time. Oh. <coughs> I, just before we move on, I just want to say any English person watching this, welcome to our world in Scotland where 10 p.m. is your cutoff for buying booze. So, yeah, welcome to our wonderful, wonderful life. I think but it's like that in the pubs, though. Yeah. No, but the off licenses. Oh, Ian's bike. Ian's bike. Yeah, sorry. Um, for some reason, it picked up BT Wi Fi and decided to pump me over there. Uh, uh, there's, this is a pump free podcast. Yeah, it's weird. All right, anyway. listen, let, let's move on. Okay. All right. So, Ian. <clears throat> We normally like to hear a little bit of the goings-on in the threat intelligence world. Sure, sure. And I've heard a story recently around um, a cyber attack actually resulting in a material death of an individual. Yeah, tragically, that was in Germany, yeah. A so, ransomware yeah. attack, yeah. So give us your take from the threat intel world. Are we going to... I mean that is tragic, right? Yeah. And we're not talking about we're not talking about military taking kinetic action against a terrorist individual or a alleged right. terrorist <clears throat> like we spoke about in previous talks. 
what we're talking about here is an attacker trying to shake down an organization or an institution and then that results completely in the death of individual innocently so what are you seeing are we seeing more of this are we going to see a lot of this yeah so i mean it's it's really tough um so on the i'm going to say on the offender side right it's really difficult to um to identify you know a medical facility especially if they haven't done asset management particularly well you run dns dumpster against their uh, domain you find a bunch of ip addresses and and you have at it um they're not doing that sort of pre-qualification most of this is like hey i found an ip address uh, via bot that seems to have this vulnerability and i've managed to get root or admin on a device with inside that network and then when the bad guys do lateral movement, they're, they're not really concerned about what the target is. They have a mission. Um, this is a, a really tragic set of, of events and failures, you know. Um, and we've threat modeled this for years. Uh, the idea that basically you've got a person that comes into the OR suffering from an overdose of some sort, you're trying to get their medical information, you can't get their medical information from the computer, so you don't know that maybe they have an allergic reaction to one of the commonly used medications to resuscitate or to put them back, uh, you know, uh, back together properly. And, you know, you do your best as a physician, but because you didn't have access to that information because the computer systems were down because of that ransomware attack you know you 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 did the best intentions i don't think the medical folks in that hospital went oh yeah fuck it man we can't get access to the computer so you know fuck it we'll just let this person die i don't think that's how it went down the problem though is that we've threat modeled this we know that healthcare is complex we know that people are complex you know generally 99% of the time, if it's outside of you and it needs to be inside of you, they can fix that. If it's inside of you and it's not supposed to be and it's outside of you, they can fix that. But some of the internal medicine issues that, that come in really require diagnostic services. They require, you know, modalities and they, they require, you know, blood gas analysis. And if those sure. systems have gone down, sure. then they don't have it. And so, so here's the thing. I, I, I think a lot of people are, are, are very um, concerned about this kind of attack. I, I agree that there's some level of concern, but man, a lot of things would have had to have gone wrong in the treatment what? and diagnosis of that person, which generally we've been doing since Roman times. Wait, know? wait. So there's a, a Reddit thread. Um, Last night, apparently, all UHS hospitals in the U.S. didn't have access to phones, computer systems, internet, or data center, and four people died as a result because they, they couldn't get access to the tests in yeah. time. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, this this kind of thing is going to happen. But Sean, this is going to happen um, if there's a major Amazon outage and you've got, you know, all of your uh, medical applications in the cloud. This is going to happen if, um, you know, DevOps makes a mistake and pushes the wrong code to production and there are going to be outages, you know, um, this is going to happen. And, and, and sure, I think the ransomware threat model um, in terms of like hospital catastrophe is a legit threat model, but so are, natural disasters so are 
mistakes that IT folks are going to make because, you know, humans can make mistakes too. It doesn't matter which hat you wear, purple, blue, or red, um, you know, bad things, things can happen to IT systems and there can be outages. Got a question for you in, in terms of your view going forward. So in the case of the individual um, that passed away in Germany, yeah, I'd like to think that the, the motive of the attack wasn't to cause harm to an actual individual in terms of their health. It doesn't, doesn't matter from a legal perspective. If I, you know, am driving my car and I run over somebody and because I didn't see them, that still could be considered uh, vehicular manslaughter, right? It's, it, it doesn't matter. Like just, you know, conspiring to murder somebody and then Scott actually does the murdering because he's that kind of guy, we both get charged with murder, right? That's the way the legal system works. And so, you know, it's nuanced to suggest that, oh, I didn't mean to do that, or, or you know, the gun just went off, right? That's not a legit criminal defense. I think my point was more around the attackers attacked, and there was probably a shakedown being the motive. Sure right yeah, they want that's money. usually what happens right exactly right um <clears throat> the intention wasn't to cause the death of an individual but that was the consequence yeah yes. as well as the cyber attack that occurred how long do you think it'll be before we actually start seeing kinetic attacks that are aimed at ultimately killing people oh we already have absolutely right. there's numerous there's numerous examples that we can point to history from uh, from a pissed off employee back in 2010 that decided to dump sewage out of a system all over Australia. We've seen pipeline explosions. We saw the Trist family of malware specifically designed to defeat, um, uh, to defeat uh, the, um, uh, the safety protocols on a refinery. We've seen your favorite topic, Mike Stuxnet, which had a kinetic effect. And you can't tell me that the poor schlob that they got that had a mop and a bucket to clean up the uranium from those centrifuges, it wasn't a casualty at some point. Mm. I mean, we've, we've seen these kind of things. And arguably, when we had two 737 maxes go down uh, because of uh, potentially a software bug in the system, um, we, we've seen these, these type of attacks before. We've seen these mistakes before, and we've seen a disgruntled people causing, you know, physical damage to, to systems, you know? So, so this is a legit threat model. Um, there needs to be um, resiliency, um, and there needs to be the, what do we do if we can't access our computers conversation? And sadly, you know, many businesses or organizations have become far too dependent on, on these systems. And, you know, as a result, uh, you know, we have gaps. And I, I said this on Twitter and I thought, you know, it was so great that Leslie Hacks from Pancakes liked it. I said, if you live in silos, if physical security is in a silo and InfoSec security or information security is in a silo, the threat actor is in between those two. Yeah. I just want to also add, if you're going to target a hospital or something, something like that with ransomware, you know the, the risks. 
Yeah. And these are people without morals. Or, um, I'm sorry, morals. Morals. <laughs> um, yeah. 100% um, agree. They, they don't care if someone gets taken out. The, to them, it's, 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 they probably wouldn't lose a single sleep. I hate to say it, but that's unfortunately some of the people we're dealing with. Yeah. What about someone, someone like, um, not to bring up old situations at all, but what about someone like, like, like Marcus's story where he yeah. wrote a piece of code that was eventually used to target a specific group? Luckily, that was banking malware. Sure. But what if you, like Sean, wrote something on GitHub and that eventually got used in Well, look at, look at the guys over at CoinHive. Coin look at the guy that wrote Memcats. Look at all of the people that ended up in jail as a result of building like test your malware against antivirus stuff, you know, um, you know, history is full of all of these people that have written, um, you know, destructive and dangerous tools, but also tools that benefit the industry incredibly. Right. I mean, if you're working as a blue teamer and you're trying to push an adversary out of your network, you're going to use a lot of the same tools that that adversary used to take over the network. You know, Mimcats is agnostic. You can use it for good or for or for for evil. So so we have a problem um, in in cybersecurity because, you know, as Sean pointed out, that ethics and morals um, sometimes takes a, a backseat to both capitalistic agendas and profiteering, as well as the cyber criminals um, and malicious activity. So it's 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 truly a complex situation, and this is why we need leaders in organizations to say that's a line that you shall not cross you know i i don't know what more to say on that that's perfectly fair all right so we are now an hour into our inaugural mash oh, we got three topics down <clears throat> we did pretty good we did pretty good scott i just want to open up the floor to you if you've got any rants or observations or thoughts that you want to share oh, in, in our first <laughs> gig Oh, it always for me it's always twitter um oh. which probably which what's always wrong? what's wrong with twitter oh twitter is amazing i oh, love yeah. twitter i don't my, know my block list is now longer than my follower list it's longer than the Lerna cohen song at this point but no i i fuck, i love twitter i don't have a problem with twitter People on Twitter have a problem with me. Well, John That's, has a problem on Twitter. That yeah. So I'm going to come on to that in a second. But Jesus, like if you're watching this or listening to this on whatever platform this eventually goes out on, a bit of sanity, a bit of realization. Like take ten seconds to read someone's tweet before just eviscerating them or just jumping on a bandwagon or, or just flipping off the handle or just being a douchebag for the sake of it. Um, in the last week alone, I've seen a multitude of tweets from women in the industry being attacked and um, being said that, you know, you look like a low-class low prostitute. I wouldn't even pay for you. Um, that's not cool. Um, right up to just people getting shit via, hey, like, what's the easiest way to explain a VPN to a noob? Oh, um, by the way, you're a shill. Like, that is bullshit. Come on, we can do better than that. Think think of new... Like, I've said this a multitude of times. So I'm going to repeat it again. Think of newbies in the industry that want to get in. The first place they're going to look at is Twitter. The first thing they see is just a dumpster fire. They're going to be like, fuck that industry, man. It's mental. I'm going somewhere else. We're going to lose all these cool people that actually want to do cool shit. 
to be fair to our industry, it's not always people within our industry. It's sometimes people outside it. They're involved in tech. They have some double in technology, and then they come along and for whatever reasons, like, no, you're wrong. A, a good example is a, a, a favorite uh, friend with Troy Hunt, not Troy Hunt, Troy Hunt's cool. Uh, <laughs> Dave Winder, I wonder. Winer. Winer, sorry. I'm just yeah. <laughs> making Dave. sure I get them. Yeah, like he's got nothing. I mean, he's involved in technology, but he's not infosec. So yeah. Yeah, worth considering that. It's kind of, it's kind of like uh, so. We we have a we have a family call, and one member of my family is knows enough to be dangerous. So it's like that idea of I'd rather deal with a complete noob or an expert. It's the bit in the middle that terrifies me, where they're giving tech advice and it's actually wrong tech advice, and it's really, really bad. And it's like I don't understand what that means. But if you check, if you check UPnP and and you know DMZ, if you just check all those boxes, it will probably work. Oh, that's really dangerous. That idea of they know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to know how dangerous they are. That's you know, terrifying. You know who that is? That's a noob who thinks they're an expert. Or, or or a CISSP that just got his uh, certification. Ooh, go there. Okay. And I'll be honest, I'll be honest just to jump in that <clears throat> I've experienced in my career tech support people that are paid yes. to yes. tell you to turn everything on. Yes. Until it works. Well, oh, you it know works what, now. I, Great. Well, what, what I heard is that if you change the settings on your VT modem, uh, you can break it. So... I yeah, think that's so, an important beer farmer's uh, tech tip. Don't ever try to change anything on anything that BT has given you. Because yeah. you could severely damage your home hub. Uh, yeah. You could, which, yeah. Which again, to me, I, I feel is like, here's, and, and let's be fair, okay? It's not a bad idea to say that because the vast majority, 99% of the people calling in Right, that say, hey, I've heard of you know uh, uh, secure DNS, and I'd like to use that service. Um, th the tech support people are inundated with all of these calls. So if they say no, you'll break it if you do that. What they meant is they won't break the physical device; they'll break the internet connection, and then they know the next step is there's going to be an engineer coming out to to fix it, and so. I, I get what they're talking about. So here's the thing. As soon as you call into BT, you should be able to establish yourself with, you know what, I'm a little bit beyond reboot it and see if it works, right? There, there needs to be a number or a even an email address or a Twitter support or something that is like, listen, you have credibility. You, you, you know what the hell you're talking about. Like, Within three minutes at any conference or event that we used to go to or in a conversation in IT, I can usually determine with a fairly high degree of success if somebody is completely full of shit when they're talking about something. So my question is, is that if your job at, you know, BT, Talk, Talk, you know, uh, Vodafone or anything, uh, any of the other companies, if, if you can't develop that keen sense of, this person is completely full of shit versus I think this person might even actually know something more than I do. Let me bump you up to tier two support or tier three support. Yeah. That would make 
Oh, that would make the customer service experience far more pleasurable than it currently is now, where as soon as you get moved from one person in the organization, they ask you for the same damn information that they just asked you, you know, date of birth, your account number, your you know, landline, who the hell even has that number um, anymore, um, you know, and you have to re-verify yourself every time they pass you between people. And, and it just, it frustrates me to no end. And I've had these conversations with these organizations like, listen, I need to talk to somebody that can really help me out, right? Just today we had a huge, uh, not huge, but we understood there to be a phishing attack on a uh, cell phone provider. Um, that cell phone provider uh, campaign had been running for about 24 to 36 hours. It had excuse me, it had already snared 65 customers, full Xeno, credit cards, expiry date, account numbers, then first name, last name, date of births, like full data dump, right? So what did I do? I got on Twitter. Um, I tried to contact their tech support. Nobody, crickets, still haven't answered my tweet. It's been about going on 11 hours now. Um, then tried to find somebody on LinkedIn put basically the note that I said to Twitter, you have a problem. There's this campaign. Here's the link to the data. You need to tell these customers that they've been compromised uh, in a LinkedIn message to a senior person in three UK crickets. Oops. I guess I shouldn't have said what the provider was. <laughs> oh, well, well, you did, but it's a, it's a good point. You can bleep that out, Sean. Yeah, we can sort it out, but actually there's no harm in, naming the name you know it's an organization you've not doxed but they're, they're victims i get it yeah. but they need to look after the people that are being victimized by this um you know there's there's a duty of care there is and, and, and there are things that you can do you know it's not a secret that i work for an isp and we have a hosting company and we have exactly Holy the same shit. problem yeah you know day in day out we have people standing up fishing using our uh, what looks to be our domain i thought is. you were independently wealthy well <laughs> keep that quiet you know yeah, yeah. We, we've got another bot coming on stream soon i know yeah. um but you know we've got process and processes to report it to the hosting provider and whoever that is whether it's google and it's like a, a google docs page which we're seeing all the time now you know uh, a, a google docs page that's set up to look like a login to another company uh mm -hmm. we see it all the time and it's about brand damage at the end of the day you know, yes, customer, customer data is compromised, but that can be kind of dealt with. You can get a new credit card or Look, you can get your username and password. I, I got to send out a huge um, shout out to the fishing hounds and dogs of malware that the team that I have at Sijax, they're amazing. But I got to be honest here. If, if, you, if you don't tell these customers because you're embarrassed at the fact that there was a phishing campaign that targeted your customers and some of them ended up going for it, if, if you're embarrassed as a brand and you don't want to talk about that, then you're part of the cybersecurity problem. You know, reach out to those customers, say, listen, it's a terrible situation. Your details are co compromised. They're in the hands of cyber criminals. Um, you need to take immediate action. That's cool. Um, what's not cool is pretending that there isn't a problem and ignoring security researchers. 
And, you know, this, we see this time and time again where Troy Hunt gets online and he's got a huge amount of followers, I think 86,000 followers or whatever. And he says, is there anybody from company X that, you know, can, can talk to me as soon as that happens? You know, you know a conversation with Troy Hunt if you're a company isn't going to be a pleasant conversation. Didn't you know there's that magic carpet where you can sweep things under and they just magically disappear? Yeah. Good yeah. point. Just to finish up on the point, um, and back to Scott's original mention of uh, John's post. So John was trying to make a point, really, in his post. And the point was not so much around VPN providers and, and the technology itself. It was more about trying to make the things that we talk to each other about every day a little bit more accessible to people that don't understand it, but could get value from it. And that's about John punching the bubble and getting rid of the, it's all about us people in InfoSec talking about our InfoSec things and hacking and all that kind of shit. Um, we're, kind of, we're kind of over that now, I think, yeah. because we're talking about the same thing all the time or same things all the time. You know, no. should he put hang one second, Sean? Should, you know, should he put a cert on your website? Yes, pretty bored of talking about that now. You know, you know, should you use a a well-known commercial certificate authority? No, you shouldn't. We're no. fucking bored of talking about that as well. We're bored of talking about the same old things. What we should now be doing is talking to the people that matter about this mm -hmm. stuff, and that's not necessarily security people. It's, it's software developers and it's and systems business administ people, yeah. systems administrators, and C level people and managers and and HR people and people on the on the the boots mm -hmm. on the ground. In yeah, business. I don't want to talk to HR. Okay, no, not again, no. um, not this week. No. But that's the problem that we haven't solved. You know, we've right. solved the technical security problems to a, a reasonable degree. We understand some of most of the solutions, mm -hmm. but we're not telling the people that fucking matter which okay. other people can make a difference. I, I agree 100% with that. So um, I did this epic teardown. So there was this uh, CISA uh, release where um, uh, an unknown federal government agency got pawned uh, in the United States. Uh, it looks like, it smells like, it feels like Iranian actors. Um, I did an epic teardown. I, the, the CISA release that they put out was uncharacteristically step-by-step um, uh, -step accurate on what the bad malicious actor did, okay? From the initial penetration all the way through, through lateral movement, through finding the data, compressing the data, exfiltrating the data to Finland, right? A, hot, a known hotbed of uh, anti-Americanism. Um, so I went through that whole thing and I identified all the key security controls that were there. And then I took a step back and I went, okay, that's interesting because even though we obsess about security controls and we look at it through that lens a lot of the times, there were basic change management mistakes made. Like, so for instance, if there is no business reason for you to collect, connect to a hosting provider in Finland, why would there be the ability at the firewall to make that connection on a non-standard port using a non-standard using a standard protocol on a non-standard port, you know? So, so again, what it comes down to is like 
you can you can blame the IT people. You can throw them under the bus. You can tell you can give them no budget whatsoever. But there are actual business processes that could be that could severely uh, severely severely prevent um, the bad guys from being able to do all of these things. You know, simple things, right? Like in one case, once they got access to the server. Uh, they created, uh, they modified a GPO and created two scheduled tasks. In a lot of organizations, without a change ticket, that would throw a red red flag, right? So there's, so so I agree 100%, Mike. And this is the thing about security is that if you're doing security in a vacuum, if you're trying to effectively do security in your organization and you're not engaging all of those other business units from development to IT ops to the business managers, to the, to the project managers, to the digital transformation team, then you, you're going you're gonna to fail in, in your mission to protect your company. You are absolutely going to fail. I have a couple of thoughts. I'm going to let Sean go because I think Sean's been trying to say something like the last... Tw- uh, how long have you been on stream? An hour and 40 minutes? An hour and 35 minutes, Sean has been trying to say something. I forgot what it was. You go ahead. <laughs> oh no, I'm just uh, like I, I get your points, Ian, but just bringing it back to just making things really, really simplistic. Like I've spent the last couple of years of my career trying to be on TV and radio and trying to d- not dumb it down. I, I don't mean that to sound as crass as it means. Hang, hang on a minute, Scott. You've you spent the last year, number of years trying to be on TV. You media whore. I am a media whore. I have an IMDb page, I'll have you know. Um, but no, I've, I've spent the last couple of years um, actually on TV and radio trying to make this tech side really accessible to the general public, where, whether that be a fraud case, whether it be a hacking case, whether it be whatever it is, you know, here's how to use a password manager. What password do you use? You know, you've seen all the clips, you know, what's your password out in the street? We're actually going up to people and going, do you want to know what data breaches you've been involved in? Here's how you can fix them. Here's, you know, you can spend time with me. Like, expert on the street. Effectively, I'm not an expert by any manner of means, but that's what the BBC build it as. Oh, sorry, um, redacted build it as. Still, trying to dumb it down, fine. The general public actually got it for the most part, and they were quite receptive, and that was lovely. Do you know what really fucked me off? was the amount of so-called experts out there with blue text on their Twitter profile, and I'm going to fucking mention you, you prick, who would pick fault with one specific part of a wider sentence. So me telling, a, I remember actually, me telling a retiree on the, in the middle of Manchester High Street, going up to them with a microphone outside and just being like, so, uh, you know, what do you use as passwords? Like, what, what is your general go-to? And they go, uh, I just use my dog's name. I'm like, cool. And we've all seen that YouTube clip. And it's like, okay, cool. What's your dog's name? They're like, Fido. I'm like, great, fantastic. Change your fucking password because this has been broadcast next week. That kind of stuff. And they turn around and say, hey, you recommend using password manager. Actually, the entropy isn't that good on some of the password managers or some bullshit fucking tertiary point like actually i would have done this and like great why weren't you on fucking telly i've got better things to do with my time like like that's the bullshit bit when you try and dumb it down enough or make it accessible to the general public 
there's always an, a so-called expert on Twitter ready to take you down, calling you a shill for BBC. I've had I've had genuine threats because I've appeared on BBC. I'm one of those. Um, like it's it's really really bizarre. I'm either a Brexiteer or a Remainer or something like because there's this whole defund the BBC movement. I get attacked as part of that because I appear on the BBC weirdly, even though it's shows that are nothing to do with politics. Um, you get that shit, and you get the people that are these so-called experts saying, ah, but entropy and passwords, and ah, but you didn't mention this, and ah, but here's a better, if you roll your own crypto or you use PGP, I'm sorry, the person I was speaking to was a retiree teacher. She doesn't know what the fuck PGP is. She doesn't fucking care. She yeah. just wants it's, it to fucking work. It's it's also like, you kind of also pointing to the, the security absolutism and all of that. Guess yeah. what? It just has to be good enough. That's all it has to be. It doesn't have to be fantastic. It doesn't have to be the best. It just has to be good enough to prevent someone attacking you. If it's done that, it's done the job. We, we can reference actually a tweet that keeps appearing and in various fucking forms and all of us have been tagged in it at some point by friends, by colleagues, by people that know what we do. And it's the password book tweet. It's always some guy in paper chase or some girl in paper chase that takes a picture and puts it on Twitter and goes, this isn't really secure. What do you think? And tags you. And you're like, well, it depends on the use case. If it's my gran, I don't give a shit because if they break into our house, they've got bigger problems because it's dogs there. Like, you know, th there's other issues at play there. I don't care if it's my grandfather to write down their passwords. My mother, I don't care. You write down all your passwords, you only literally have Spotify. That's it. That's your biggest use case. Someone's going to go in and listen to Taylor Swift a million times, and it might be me. However, if we're talking the, the previous job I used to do, or policing, or anything like that, where you're talking secure environment, the building is secure, so writing down your passwords isn't that much of a risk, but if someone did get in, then it would be a big risk. Take that into consideration. Use a password manager. Or you know, there is there is there's a tiered system here, and I'm not talking a tiered system for passwords and security. There's a tiered system for people, and and use cases. We need to understand that and fuck off with all this security absolutism. It's bullshit. We need to. Everybody has um, a completely different threat profile. Yeah, yeah and for an, for an organization, the threat profile is organizational. And therefore, you need to assess the threat profile of the people within the organization. And there you get a wider understanding of the organization's threat profile. I think that's mm -hmm. fair. <clears throat> For your mum or your dad or your grandma or your whatever, completely different story. And to your point, Scott, if somebody breaks into your mum's house, they're probably more interested in finding whether they can move the TV out the window or whether they can you know, grab the jewelry out of the jewelry box and all that kind of stuff they're probably not going to go rooting through the drawers and find that little notebook and go oh passwords oh they'll come in useful because most of the people that break into houses are scumbags that have never even used a computer right so you know let's be realistic about it um, i had the, I, I had this argument on twitter a, a, a while back where i was like yeah using wireless keyboards and that Again, it very much depends. People are trying to argue against my own threat profile. Like, if there's so a I, white I, van filled <laughs> with Iranians across the street from you, and you're like an ex-government uh, operative um, working for yeah. an agency that ends in a random number and MI in front of it, then yeah, I get that. That's maybe your threat profile. But 
For God's sakes, people. I, I, I love it. Like, that's those banned off Twitch. <laughs> I, I live in the middle of the sticks. And as Ian pointed yeah. out, if someone's directly following me and sitting outside my house, which is going to be pretty obvious. Well, like, it's me and I'm looking for a place to stay. <laughs> Probably got bigger problems. <laughs> that that's when you flash the lights. There's a there's a pattern that you need to memorize. I'll, I'll send you it later. Okay. And if they've done that, they're probably being inside my house and bugged the shit out of it. Absolutely. That's a, good, that's a very good point. We've I'm seen how he fits cameras inside buildings today, so it could have been him. All right. Um, all right. So we're on to John's section of tonight's talk. Well, that's yeah. a quick section. Yeah, I think we've called it the tumbleweed gif. Yeah. Section. Yeah. So I don't I'm know. Not even, I'm not even sure I have an appropriate soundboard for that. Um, nah, I mean, I've, I, I mean, I, I do have. Um, no, not that one. Uh, I do. I maybe do have. Just in case he eventually turns up. Oh, actually, I better stop it because we might get strike for copyright. <laughs> ah, <good point. laughs> oh, not again. All right, oh. so we're, we've, we're nearly done now. And okay. so next up is Sean's little take on things going on in the world. We've called this um, section Sean's Dogs. Sean's Dogs. Because yeah. typically during our podcasts in the past, we'd have at least two or three incidents of Sean's dogs mauling I, his children. I, I, should, I should get behind the drums and play Who Let the Dogs Out? Well, if you if you don't mind me if you don't mind me jumping in if you scroll back through the Twitch chat about uh, half an hour ago the Twitch chat just went to purely just people going Sean 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 so based on something that happened earlier so okay uh. go Sean it's your it's your your time your time is now I'm flushed that's my time um it just when it was a point to John's thing I know. Um, about anti VPNs, uh, it it's weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I love it. They're like the anti maskers of IT. It's it's come down to what we were saying. Like, it's all about your threat profile. Like, if I I go to a hotel, my only option is my mobile, which is not secure, as we probably or most of us know, um, or the hotel wireless. Do I trust either? I trust my mobile more, but if I um, say overseas in the US, I'm not going to tether to my mobile. Hell no. Firstly, it's like slow shit. Um, but secondly, um, it's just ridiculous pricing. So I'm going to go on the hotel Wi-Fi. Do I trust the hotel Wi-Fi? Probably not. So what will I use? I'll use a VPN service. So in my use case, it protects me from the Wi-Fi. And also people going, oh, but if you don't trust this, it's not end-to-end. That's not the point. It's end-to-a-point that makes it really difficult. You're, you're most likely to get man in the middle between yourself and some service somewhere. So if you're doing a VPN, between you and that VPN, that's where you're probably going to get man in the middle. Not between that server and the back-end server. You're not going to have to like either compromise that infrastructure or compromise the internet. Good luck with that. So Black Hat and DEF CON are great examples of training exercises yeah. for APT actors and for government agencies, 100%. So yeah, you, you know, Sean, you're right on the money with this because like, that those are the, da- the most dangerous networks in the world. 
Just like, you know, the beer farmers are the most dangerous band in the world. <laughs> yeah. We are. Not for, not for the reasons that you'd think. <laughs> yeah, just for, for uh, legal reasons, uh, we're not allowed to talk about it. But no, I have actually an interesting story about um, using, a, well, connecting to public Wi-Fi. And it, was, um, it wasn't too long ago. I think it was about two years ago or something. I went into an ASDA. I connected to their, lo- their local Wi-Fi. I think I needed it for some particular reason. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the ASDA app appeared on my iPhone. And Sweet. that creeped me the shit out. And I was That's using cool, it. man. It's really not, but okay, <laughs> I get where you're coming from. But it was really not. And it was one of those moments of holy shit, that is terrifying. But similarly to that, has anybody else experienced the really shit hotel Wi-Fi or really shit public Wi-Fi where you go there and you you connect to it? and you don't even need to like normally it has a portal where you have to like log in and give it an email address and sign up for all the marketing bullshit and please use a throwaway if you haven't already um but because my vpn auto connects it bypasses all that shit it is brilliant when that happens it's so much fun because it's connect and it's like oh you've got connection and then you speak to someone else and like i'm signing up for the portal and it's asking me for my phone number and all this bullshit and you're just like yeah i just changed dns servers as well that was a favorite when i was traveling like 10 years ago you log to the wi-fi change the dns servers immediately you're fine like and it's super fast as well because it's like cloudflare or, or if you're using google dns compared to their shitty in-house ISP. ISP DNS, Mike. The one person putting out a tweet <laughs> against VPNs yes. and VPN services and all this uses Cloudflare on their own site. Yeah. But and they're for, also they're also working for a three letter agency, just, so they're anti VPN. Just just, <laughs> just I, put out a, I put out a tweet that said I use all these free proxy sites because I, I trust governments with my data more mm. than vendors. And I just want to clarify with Cloudflare. I think they're awesome. I like them. Yeah. I love them. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of traffic going through them. So some people accuse them of uh, monitoring. And ultimately, they provide a service often free. So it's questioned whether they use that for other gains like marketing and that. But but that's, yeah. you know, people that come out with these statements really need to know a little bit more. Not a lot more, just a little bit more mm-hmm. about how the internet works. Yeah. All right. And so Cloudflare offer a lot of free services, but they actually sell a lot of caching services sure. to very large organizations. And they offer fronting and DNS that gets paid for by big companies that spend millions of bucks a year on Cloudflare And, DDoS and uh, web application uh, firewall. Exactly right, yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> you've got to put, you've got, people said, trust no one, right? And I, that's Fox Mulder's approach to life. Yeah, trust no one. And yeah, he ended up pretty happy. He did, but you know, you've got to assume that there are people up there, as in backbone providers, tier one, tier two providers, uh, DNS providers, ISPs, um, VPN providers, certificate sure. authorities, people like that that are all part of the chain that connects your device and your browser to the thing you want to go and see on the web. Right, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's an you, ecosystem. It's an ecosystem, and the level of trust has to be there because ultimately if that trust is found to be uh, misplaced, then the internet will collapse and it will, it'll cease to be a place where people feel comfortable using it. And I don't mean just us browsing 
whatever website we use. But commerce will stop. I think we're seeing that already, Mike. I think we're seeing like, you know, if, and this is really kind of a, an out there analogy, but if, if the internet is an ocean and everybody is sort of living on a coral reef, we're, we're seeing the effects of pollution on, uh, on the internet, destroying the habitat of the internet. You know, the, the fact now that, you know, basically there are laws and best practices that prohibit traffic between countries is really unfortunate. But that's where we've gotten because we know who the bad actors are. We know that a lot of the low-hanging fruit emanates from Russian bulletproof hosting, uh, you know, from Iran and, and, and from China where there's more patriotic enthusiasm than there is technical acumen. Um, and so as a result of it, a lot of the stuff that we're getting hit with, you know, the brute force, the low-hanging fruit attacks emanate from IP addresses that are very easy to find on the internet, and they're not obfuscated at all. It's it's yeah. pretty blatant. I noticed um, Will uh, Bushido token in the in the chat just um, referred Dog. to Cloudflare as Crime Flare. Yeah. Now that that's an interesting point because they have there has been criticism of Cloudflare over the years about them fronting um, yeah. less. Um, Honourable organisations, uh, criminal organisations, even terrorist organisations, sure. and all that kind of stuff. And I think you can't have it both ways. No, okay, you've got to assume that in in the same way that certificate authorities can't vet every single organisation that buys an HTTPS or a TLS certificate, um, you, and ICANN and, and IANA and all the naming registry companies and pe- people like that can't spend time vetting every single requester of mm-hmm. a service otherwise the services are going to be become expensive and you're going to be charged for them it requires diligence in different ways so if, if a registrar allows um, a phishing site to be stood up then the argument could be well it's incumbent on the registrar to do more about it but it, again it's that ecosystem because the registrar the domain uh, hosting company, the actual physical infrastructure provider, like all of these things are part of this ecosystem. And you're right, you know, they they do this. They point at each other uh, yeah. all the time and say, "Oh yeah, well it's it's a certificate authority that let that domain that had extra uh, an extra O for Google uh, get um, get you know uh, registered." Yeah, I agree, and I think ultimately if if we're all happy and celebrate the fact that Let's Encrypt, for example, are um, a, a great service and free, and they mm-hmm. fly in the face of the traditional sectigos and all, you know, all Trustify, remember them, Sean, um, and organisations like that, we can't expect them to be solely responsible for ensuring that a phishing site is stood up. It's not mm-hmm. on them. It's yeah. like you're saying, it's a, it's a collective effort across the industry. Because honestly, there are some best practices that suggest that you buy all of the potential phishing domains for your organization. So how do they know that your purchase of a phishing-ish or something that looks sketchy domain is not a legit purchase by a legit organization versus, you know, cybercriminal.com? So, you know, there are, there are folks and, and, and so for instance, if you're an organization, you want to internally fish your own people, 
you might pick a domain that looks very similar to one of your big suppliers and set that up. And as a red teamer, try and, 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 and get into your own company uh, you know, via that method. So there are legit reasons to register a phishing domain, right? Mm, there are. Sean. So um, they, there's also the other angle that people then start accusing them of trying to police the internet and prevent people from standing up services and that. Um, you, Because also, you got to remember, there's also a fine line, especially in countries that are a bit... Um, I don't know how to term this, but uh, countries with a bit more authoritarian type governments that might term, oh, this organization, we don't agree with them, so therefore they're terrorists. But they're trying to get freedom for the, the, the citizens and that. Now, does Cloudflare support that? Or do they block it? If they block it, then they're going to be supporting the authoritarian regime. Um, but if they if they don't block it, then the regime might try and embargo them or something like that. So, yeah, it's just a he, he, here's another take on that. Is it purely the fact that Cloudflare are so fucking prominent? Uh, so dealing with victims of like a victim, not victimless crime, but like criminal less crime, like faceless crime you tend to blame the first thing that you find in the chain. So if that's a bank, if someone's been hit with fraud, they'll bring, they'll blame their bank. Bank, even if the bank did nothing wrong, acted accordingly with the law, and in fact went even further to make sure that the, the, the victim of the crime was in some way protected or somehow uh, in somehow okay. Is Could it be that Cloudflare are just so prominent. It's like blaming Google for everything. It's like fucking Google, man. They know what I'm searching for. They know that I'm searching for an 18 inch fucking black dildo at night. So therefore, that is all the recommended ads, which is absolutely it, my recommended ads. Could it be that? It is. Like one of the things in Infosec, we, we we blame the victims. So to your point, like imagine, okay, blame the bank. So, so if someone gets breached from a bank account, bank hack, we blame the bank. If someone goes on and robs a bank, are we now going to go, it's the bank's fault? Yeah. Really of course point. not. It's not, not going to happen. It's a really good point. All right. We are now coming to a close, but I've now got my little section which, uh, in which I'd like to talk about BeerCon 2. Yes. Beep, beep. And so... We are doing a thing at the end of next month. I think it's October the 30th, which is a Friday. And the whole idea is that if you are um, a rookie that has given a talk, or would, would have given a talk, should I say, at a conference anywhere, really, uh, and was unable to do that because of the global shit pack that is COVID, then we would like to welcome you to come and join us to give a talk at our um, humble conference. Very much so happening at the end of at the end of october so we put out a call for presentations it's nothing particularly heavy or sophisticated all we're interested in is giving you a platform to say some stuff and share some information share some experience and um and learn and gain a bit of experience as well which is the entire point of really why we're doing it uh scott shared the the address in which you can send off your cfp responses to and what we need is who you are um, the title of your talk, just a paragraph 
or a sentence even about what your talk contains. What a couple of bullet points. Yeah, a couple of bullet points would be fine. And then how long you think you'd need to deliver the talk. Um, we've had probably 20 plus. Yeah, it's been, it's been really great. Yeah. And I would, I would expect that with the exception of probably a couple who were people that have just sent in a response when they're actually internationally recognized. I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about that after you've said your piece. That, that's fine. If you don't mind. Yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, we've had a couple of people sending it. Hello, I'm new to speaking, and then you go look at them on the internet and find <laughs> find that they've delivered talks at every B sides globally for the past ten years, <laughs> and all they're looking, yeah, and keynote speeches and stuff. And all they're actually looking for is just yet another platform in order to probably sell a book or whatever, talk about themselves. Ooh, ooh, but having shot, said that, shot. yeah, having <laughs> said that, you know, we find you out because we're not stupid, and um, but. The vast majority, so 99% of the people that have got in touch with us have actually got a genuine thing to talk about. And a lot of it, most of it, all of it, in fact, looks really super interesting and cool. So you're going to have to really do something badly wrong to get accepted to this conference. We are highly likely to offer people positions to speak unless you call us bad names, in which case come on here and do it instead. So I'd love to hear from the community that believes that VPNs are the devil's work. Yes. We would Fuck yeah. I'll, ex- I'll accept that. See, I will vote to accept that. See, I would take, I would enjoy his presentation for the 30 to 40 minutes of <laughs> like complete crazy conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat bullshit that it would be. And then I would get to the Q and A part of the of the talk, which would just be comedy gold. A shit that's show. How I describe it. A shit so, show. So, so that's that's a sorted of keynote speakers then. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it? I think anti VPNers would be probably the the, the best. Oh go my on, god, Scott, go on. You were going to say, dude. Uh, yeah, I was. I was going to say I've been asked a few questions by some of the rookies, and some of the rookies that are considering submitting who haven't already, and I know there's a, a number of you out there. Um, please do submit. We're not going to do this keynote bullshit where someone like myself, who's spoken professionally for a vast number of years, is going to get the keynote speech. No, no one's getting a keynote speech, as far as I'm aware. Um, it's literally going to be you guys. Um, we're going to close it off with a pub quiz, which is going to be epic, by the way. Um, just want to say. But we're going to do that. That's it. So it's you guys, all of you people, just talking about what you like, what you, what you, I guess, don't like about the industry, what you don't, what you've... If you want to mix it up too, like you want to do a panel discussion, you want to bring some important issues forward, like, you know, I... I said this a couple of times in my own tweets about, you know, we'd love to hear from people that want to talk about diversity. They want to talk about their struggles breaking into the industry or imposter syndrome or anything that, you know, Stu Hurst babbles on about on a regular basis. Um, All of that stuff would be really valuable because the people that will be watching will be the people that um, you're going to have an impact on, right? That what you talk about, what you choose to discuss on at at BeerCon two, um, is going to be uh, it's going to be groundbreaking. 
And that's the intent of our conference this year is to break ground for people that, you know, haven't had the, you know, the lights in the eyes and haven't been on the stage. Yeah, absolutely right. And we'll be there to curate it and MC it and provide a comfortable environment for people to do their thing. Um, I don't think we're doing a multi-track approach. I think that's not what we want to do. We want to just do talks back to back so that everybody gets a fair share of the audience um, and nobody's conflicted around where they go. Uh, It may be that it ends up being a two day event because we may have actually enough people. Are we going to go for two days? It's not, not going to be 24 hours in terms of <laughs> not this I was time. Say, that damn near wasted me. Yeah, you and me both, man. No, it, but it might be that we do a you know a nine till five each day, but we need to take into consideration people's geographical locations and all that kind of stuff as well, which we'll di- we'll spend the next few weeks planning. Um, but anybody that submits, we will give you an absolute honest and fair hearing and opportunity. And mm-hmm. we're not here to judge the quality of your talk. We're not here to judge you on your experience and expertise of delivering talks. We're here to help you do it. And there are already people that have reached out and said, I could do with a mentor, and then we'll hook you up with people that can help. And that's, but, that's the whole point. The one thing I just want to mention about talks, because I have heard, heard one or two people mention this or ask this, they're not too sure what to talk about. Oh, it's already been spoken about before. It's cross subscription has been around 2003, no, 98 we're now in 2020 it's still very much a big thing don't worry about if someone's spoken about it it you give your own opinion your own view starts your own thing also not everyone knows about it so don't be scared of talking about something that's already been talked about obviously don't copy someone's talk that's something different but give your own viewpoint it doesn't have to be groundbreaking zero day stuff Agreed. That's incredibly just... important, Sean, because as you know, you've been accused of not knowing anything about uh, library management and the IT supply chain from a developer <laughs> perspective. So, no. you know, it's it's nice of you to come out in support of our homegirls and our homeboys out there that, that you know, are going to represent. Yeah, completely agree. I, I just want to just just for the audience watching at home that or listening at home that has got the shot glass out and ready with a bingo card. Um, I just want to double down on that point. Oh, for God's sake! It doesn't matter what you're saying; it's how you're saying it. Um, that's a piece of advice. I mean, something I've heard time and time again from many people that have either already submitted to BeerCon have not yet submitted to BeerCon, and I hope they do, or people that are out of the fray and and, and maybe don't even know BeerCon exists, is people won't want to listen to what I say. Motherfucker, they let me on radio. Motherfucker, they let me on TV. And I, I don't think I, I provide something, but they keep inviting me back. Like, if I can do it, you can absolutely do it. So it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I want to hear your story. I don't care about the technical bullshit. I want to hear how you present. That's what I want. I think from my point of view, and I I agree with that, Scott, but I'd also say that if you come and deliver a talk at Beacom and you interest one person and influence them to go away away and make a, a material change to their own personal security of their organization security, or it helps them along with their college and or university. Oh, fuck it. If you make friends, you're, you're the fucking job done, man. <clears throat> yeah. So it's as much about that, that little bit of impact you can have that makes a big difference. 
and that can be a social impact it can be a professional impact technical impact any any of that kind of thing and at the and end of the day speaking of that don't you have a position open in your organization where you're looking for a junior security analyst to join your team of which i reviewed your job interview uh, your job description and uh, i do believe it was quite exceptional uh, i will right? work for nothing less than two camels and a bag of potatoes a month i know people that will do that I said that on B sides of Lambatar and I got locked up in a tent. Yeah, well, we, exactly. We, we... <laughs> right, listen, we're, we're about done. Does anybody want us to go through the uh, the new Beer Farms album track list or should we do that another time? Oh, no, no, I, I think, think we should drop the track list. I drop drop the track list and we'll work on it in the, in the, over the weekend. It'll be dumped on me at like, last minute to do artwork or some pish. I need some artwork. So it's going to feel like a bit of a, a rundown of the top of the charts from back in the day on Radio yeah. 1 at 7 o'clock on a Sunday evening. However, should we do it from the lowest to number one or should we do it the other way around? What Let's do, we do it, it <clears throat> counting down. UK counting top down. 40 sale. Alright, well we're starting at the UK top 14. So, Ooh. brace yourselves. This is a Bear Farmer's observation of life in Infosec and particularly around social media. Okay, so I'm not going to provide any context. I'm just going to read out the song titles and everybody can make up their own judgment or make up their own mind around what we're talking about. All right, strap yourselves in. (laughs) In at number 14, we have Smells Like Teen Infosec Bollocks. All songs by the Bear Farmers, by the way. Um, In at number 13, All I Want for Christmas is a Cow to Eat. Um, In at number 12 is Splain It to Me One More Time. You may recognize some of these as being rip-offs. Uh, in at number 10, uh, sorry, in at number 11 is You, Me, and Entropy. Shout out to my man, Large Cardinal. Absolutely. Uh, oh. In at, at number 10 is Crazy Little Thing Called Vim. I like that one. How the fuck do you exit it, man? That's, uh, uh, I, I, I often sit here wondering for hours how to do that. Um, number nine, Cartwheeling Into the Void. Number eight, 24 hours from Linux. I think that was good. A lot of these are about um, certain individuals. Anyway. I, I made I made Linux my primary operating system seven minutes ago, and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> oh, God, we're all going to hell. Um, in at number seven, so we're, in, we're into a bit, more, a bit more difficult social media behavior. In at number seven is hashtags and the hand claps. <laughs> which is a direct reference to influencers. Uh, in at number six is Paradise by the Dashboard Gaslight. <laughs> oh, yes! Which is our, our loving tribute to a great meatloaf song from uh, about 35 years ago. And for the video, I will be doused in, like, gel so that I am permanently sweaty. <laughs> that, that's a hell of a fucking image right there. <laughs> Uh, I like that one. Uh, and at number five, the selfie song. Uh, that was a name, Thornton Trump composition. It's just yes. about a guitar ballad. Yeah, little... it, it, excuse me. I feel per- personally attacked by that. Can someone there's a fucking selfie right there? I'm not sure whether it's available on. Yeah, we can see it on stream. I, I hate the fact that you've got a picture of me. Uh, yeah, that 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 one is um, part of my private stash. I'm sorry, it's there. Um, I'm sorry. I thought it was in my bedroom drawer. I I uh, accidentally hung it up for. All reason. right. Moving on, my Moving on. We're, we're nearly there. And it's, it must have, it can't have been easy for people listening. Anyway, um, at number four, we've got I retweet, therefore I am. Yes. In brackets, yes. an influencer. And uh, number three, I am offended. <laughs> Constantly. 
Kind Constantly. Of, that's a, a shout-out to John. I believe that's just John sitting on a stage with a single white spotlight on him. He's in a black suit. He's yeah. got a guitar. He's like, I just killed a person on Twitter, and um, I'm going to go to jail for it. Yeah, it's definitely it's a croon. Actually, it's quite it's quite nice. It's got a bit of a Sinatra Dean Martin feel to it. Um, and then in at number two, we've got "Look at Me," which is <laughs> super cool. Um, and finally, at number one is "I Want to Be Adored," which we we borrowed from the Stone Roses from their original Stone Roses album, and that tells you all you need to know about a lot of people on social media. So that is our new album. We haven't given it a title yet. Yeah, but um, that is uh, that is it for our chart for this particular month, and that is it for our podcast for this particular month. All right, so, a huge shout out to the three or four fans that turned up to watch this bollocks. Really pleased. I mean, admittedly, two out of the three were bar staff. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. They had nowhere else to go. They had nowhere to be. They were paid to be there. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see you again in a month's time. Thank you very much indeed for uh, for coming along. Take care. Keep it real, y'all.